It was a really busy night, and it wasn't until sometime in the mid-morning hours where I finally had an opportunity to take a nap. And when I tried to get up, I couldn't feel my legs. And an MRI was done that confirmed the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis with multiple lesions in both my brain and spinal cord. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 130 countries around the world. Venice, Florida, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, Gail, Sri Lanka. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 47 of season 5, number 346 overall. You know, in life, there are moments that can change everything. You have your whole life planned out and you are on the right track. You are working hard to accomplish your goals. And even if it's far off in the distance, you can still see the finish line up ahead. You know exactly where you are headed and you know exactly what you're going to do to get there. And then, boom, something comes along and blindsides you and everything changes. Your entire trajectory shifts and you start to worry that that future you had been working so hard for, the one that you had envisioned, the one you were working to create, it is no longer in the cards. It takes a minute, but once the initial shock wears off, you then come to a crossroads. Do you accept your new darker fate or do you refuse to concede and start to work relentlessly, tirelessly? to find a way to get back to that brighter future that you had always dreamed of. My guest today is someone who found themselves at such a crossroads. Dr. Sarai Stancic. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and she is here today to talk about the choice that she made a choice that can now inspire the nearly 3 million people living with MS worldwide. You see, Dr. Stancic was once relegated to the use of a cane and her condition was rapidly deteriorating. But she was at that crossroads and she began to study the role of her diet. What could that be doing here? And as she began to learn more and more and more, her plate began to change. The foods she was eating began to change. The healthier the food, the better. And what was taken out of her diet? Meat and dairy were gone. And soon enough, also gone, was that cane she had to use. And all of that crippling pain that had been causing her such agony, that was out of there too. So I cannot wait for her to share her story with you here on the program today because she is an unprecedented hero. So cool that she's here to talk to us today. But before we get started, I wanted to take a second to talk to you about your health. And if you're looking for a little bit of help to take control of your health, 
you're looking for a good plant-based doctor or dietitian, then schedule an appointment today at the Barnard Medical Center. Telemedicine visits are available, so that's like a house call wherever it is that you are. You don't even have to leave your own home. 202-527-7500 is the phone number to call to make that appointment or stay digital 100%. Visit barnardmedical.org to schedule that appointment today. Get set up on a healthier path. Make some improvements with your own health. This is like modern medicine with a heavy focus on diet and prevention. It is literally the healthiest combo out there. So barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to schedule your appointment today. Barnardmedical.org for a full list of states where services are available and insurance is accepted. Thank you so very much for being here. Thank you so much, Chuck. It's such a great pleasure to be joining you this afternoon. I have wanted to have you on the show for so long, and I am so glad that you're here. And I feel like we have vibrant colors that are just popping off of the screen, and that's going to get people in a good mood and ready to listen. Absolutely. I love it. Um, for those of our viewers and our listeners who aren't yet familiar with your story, uh, as I said at the top, it is one of the most inspirational tales that I have ever heard. Um, and it is a story that I, I would love for you to kind of walk us through. And I begin, uh, I believe that it begins all the way back on October 11th, 1995. What happened that day? Absolutely. You're on point. So I was a third year medical resident on call, um, thinking that everything was just fine. And it was a really busy night. And it wasn't until sometime in the mid-morning hours where I finally had an opportunity to take a nap. And I remember getting to that call room and falling asleep right away. I was so exhausted. About a half an hour later, I was paged to address another urgent matter. And when I tried to get up out of that sleeping position, I couldn't feel my legs. So it was that acute. Um, I was brought to the emergency room and an MRI was done that confirmed a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis with multiple lesions in both my brain and spinal cord. And so just like that, I went from this young, vibrant, healthy physician, at least I thought I was, to a chronic illness patient admitted to the hospital with multiple sclerosis. Had you had any symptoms before that? Or was this, I mean, completely out of left field? It felt like completely out of left field, Chuck. But, you know, in retrospect, when I look back, I would read, I would think um, at times I had some tingling in my toes or I felt really, really tired. But again, you know, I I, I just assumed it was related to the fact that I was a, a medical resident with little sleep. I was, you know, eating out of, of vending machines. You can imagine what, what it's like to be a medical resident. Um, I was on call every every third night. So the lifestyle of a medical resident isn't actually very healthy, as you might imagine. So I just um, assumed that it was just wear and tear from from my lifestyle. And so I never really paid much attention to it until abruptly it all came to a head on that evening. So the emotions that come with that, everything changes for you on a dime. You're still young. Your career is not even taking off just yet. I mean, you still have your whole life ahead of you and you're handed this diagnosis. I mean, how are you feeling? Take the doctor standpoint out of it, right? Just how are you feeling as the person who was just diagnosed with this? 
you, you just feel like somebody just kicked you in the gut and it's the last thing that, that you imagine is going to happen. I did all the right things. And, you know, I had finally arrived at my dream to become a physician. And now all of a sudden it was being taken away from me. So there was anger, there was loss, there was sadness. Uh, and then it was further, um, you know, the injury was even, uh, was, was even more difficult when the physician, the neurologist came to see me at the bedside and having had reviewed my MRI said to me, you have significant damage here. And the expectation is, and you need to be ready for this, that you will likely be in a wheelchair within 10 to 20 years. And um, at age 28, I had just turned 28 years old. Uh, this was uh, an incredibly difficult moment for me. 20. Yeah. I mean, that's, oh boy. Um, so when you say that you were diagnosed with lesions on your brain and on your spine, can you define for us what that lesion actually is? A lot of us are thinking basically maybe a lesion you would get on the skin. Is it the same thing? So multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease and it damages myelin, which is this fatty sheath that protects the brain and spinal cord. And so the immune system actually attacks that and pop, pops holes in it essentially. And that uh, results in neurological symptomatology and as the disease progresses, patients can, for example, uh, develop uh, a disabling event where they now become dependent on a cane or, or even a wheelchair. So what was the course of action that you took? What were the prescriptions you were given? What was the plan of action that was put into place? So, I, so at the time I was actually told it was, it, it, I was lucky because the FDA had just approved the first medication indicated for, to slow the progression of multiple sclerosis. Uh, uh, it's called a disease modifying therapy. And that one was called beta seron. And it was a drug that I had to inject every day. Uh, and it, the idea was that it would slow the progression. It's not a cure, but it slows the progression. The problem with that was that this injectable drug um, has a significant side effect profile. So I would inject the drug at 10 o'clock at night. And then um, by the time, by two o'clock in the morning, I would wake up with fever, chills, muscle aches, pains, nausea, vomiting. I mean, it was just, this was happening to me every single day. And at some point it just became so difficult that I didn't think I could do it much longer. So I I, I turned uh, to my neurologist to, to help him understand how difficult this regimen was. But he, he said to me, you have to continue going because this is your best chance at slowing the progression. And again, he reminded me of that wheelchair. Uh, so I felt compelled to continue on. And I did so um, for almost eight years. And what happened was not only was I taking that medication, but I was taking other medications uh, and I found myself within eight years of the diagnosis taking about a dozen medications in total. And despite all of those medications, my disease progressed and my quality of life suffered immensely. Uh, in 2003, I was largely dependent on a cane or set of crutches and I began to lose hope. And how did this affect your career path? I would imagine it would be very difficult for you to maintain residency at a hospital, given the fact that you've had this diagnosis. Did you have to kind of pivot and go in another direction with your career? Well, I went on to complete a fellowship in infectious diseases. That was my passion. And I continued to practice medicine. It was, it was challenging for sure. Uh, but I continued. Uh, for example, I'd have to get to work a little bit early in order to get to my office because, it, you know, I think things that we take for granted, uh, if you have, if you're dependent on a cane or, or crutches, uh, carving in additional time for doing that, but also uh, finding uh, opportunities uh, 
to gain support from 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 my team members. So I was always uh, very fortunate in that I had team members that were supporting me throughout the course of my career. Now, at any point, did you ask uh, your neurologist because the side effects were so severe? And at this point, you're being given pills to cover for side effects. And, and you said you were up to a dozen or so medications a day. Were you asking for alternatives at that point? What were you told? I wasn't. Uh, Chuck, I, I, you know, that wasn't a world that was familiar to me. I was a board, a dual board certified physician in internal medicine and infectious diseases. And this idea of uh, I don't even call it alternative, this idea of lifestyle medicine um, being potentially a vehicle by which we could not only prevent disease, but also better um, manage disease and even potentially reverse it. That was foreign to me. And so the idea of that came to be in an unusual way. Um, in 2003, at this point, I was chief of infectious diseases at the VA in New York. And by chance, I came across a publication that discussed a connection between multiple sclerosis and diet. Uh, and I was struck by this. Again, dual board certified physician, I didn't know anything about nutrition uh, and how it affected risk of disease and, and, and outcomes in disease. So this was the that what I called the aha, the big aha moment for me, where I first connected this idea of how diet and how our food choices could potentially uh, affect um, you know, the disease formation. And as I read uh, the literature, because this small study really catalyzed this uh, insatiable appetite to learn as much as I could about this, um, I just uncovered all of this data that clearly connected uh, diet uh, with the disease state potentially. And there was a particular physician named Roy Swang who published an article in 1952 in the New England Journal of Medicine who described a hypothesis that he felt saturated fat consumption was playing a role uh, in multiple sclerosis. And I was struck by this. He not only hypothesized, he went on to actually treat a group of MS patients, 140 plus patients with a low fat plant-based diet over 34 years. And he reported in the Lancet in 1990 that 95% of his patients remained disability free. That was an incredibly exciting publication for me, and it certainly uh, opened my eyes to the possibility of this being a potentially effective approach for me. Absolutely. So here's my question to you. If his first study was put out in 1952, yes. and then the, the follow-up to that, what, 38 years later in 1990, still well before your diagnosis, why then wasn't that brought up in the conversation between you and your doctors? Well, Dr. Swank didn't have a control uh, group in, in that evaluation of diet in, in that treatment regimen. Uh, and to, you know, it, it just, it wasn't the idea of diet, even today, Chuck, even though we have a lot of evidence to, to support that diet is playing a role, not only in MS, but in many autoimmune diseases, um, it's still not yet uh, accepted uh, as a valuable intervention um, in in medicine and in and in multiple sclerosis. And that, of course, I think is starting to change. I think a lot of uh, MS experts are looking at this more closely. There's been some recent 
uh, data published in the past couple of years looking at how diet affects the makeup of the microbiome. And in turn, the microbiome um, uh, is producing these signals like these small chain fatty acids like but butyrate that are then affecting the immune response. So I think that um, things are changing and uh, we're more and more evidence is piling up and speaking to the importance of diet and, and lifestyle altogether. You know, back in the 1990s, when I was first diagnosed, um, I was advised not to exercise. Uh, and it was falsely believed that exercise exacerbated the disease. We know better today. We know that exercise is an important component in better managing multiple sclerosis. So I think that the evidence is, is moving us in the right direction, but we still have a lot of work to do. With that said, uh, the the options available to us in that disease modifying therapy category have expanded quite quite extensively since I was diagnosed. As I said to you earlier, uh, in 1995, the first drug was approved. I think we have now more than a dozen uh, medications that are available to patients with multiple who are newly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And it's not that I'm against uh, the initiation of disease modifying therapies. There, there is efficacy associated with them. My concern is that um, in large part, uh, diet and exercise and all the other aspects of lifestyle are largely uh, completely ignored and they should be addressed with all patients, not, and again, all patients, but in multiple sclerosis, we know, for example, excess weight worsens outcomes. We know smoking worsens outcomes with MS, and yet uh, they're not addressed by um, multiple sclerosis experts. And I hope in the future that they will be, because it is an important part of assuring that patients reduce um, the risk of, of disabling events and improve the quality of their lives. So I want to go back to before 2003, before that aha moment. I'm assuming that doctors pretty much told you to eat whatever it was that you wanted. Would I be correct in that assumption? You would be correct. Yeah. So so give us an example of what your diet was like before the aha moment. I mean, I think it was uh, regrettably typically standard American diet. Um, I was probably, I was, you know, I, I never carried a lot of weight, but I was probably about 10 pounds heavier than I, than I should have been. Um, I mean, I was a young woman. I wasn't really uh, fixed on worrying about my cholesterol, my hemoglobin A1C. I certainly didn't have any of those um, comorbidities. Uh, and I was just very busy with, with my, uh, you know, practice. I was a practicing uh, physician. Um, a few years later, I was married. I had children. So you can imagine how my schedule was complicated. Uh, but on average, I would say was is more consistent with a standard American diet. I, I think that um, I did eat a good amount of, of plant sources, but I was by no means vegan. And so let's talk about when you decided to make that switch yourself over to a plant-based diet. You've had this aha moment. You kind of go down the rabbit hole and you're learning more and more and more. When you decided to make that switch for yourself, did you go all in or did you still approach it with a little bit of skepticism, even though you had just stacks of research in front of you? Yeah, well, I I would say I I, pre I pretty much went all in, um, but I but I I definitely can tell you that um, my diet has been more and more refined over the years. It didn't all change overnight. And some patients can do that. And I think that's extraordinary when they can do that. I wasn't that disciplined, um, but I did, I would say I, I shifted my diet um, primarily 
it was it was certainly um, um, primarily plant based. I would say about ninety percent of my diet was about uh, was plant based, um, and as I I started to see improvement in in my symptomatology over time, and again it wasn't just my diet; it was also introducing exercise for the first time. In two thousand and three, I could do very little without assistance with a cane or a crutch. So the only thing I could do was a stationary bike. And Chuck, when I first started on the bike, I could do no more than a couple of minutes and then exhausted and in pain, I would come off and it would take time to recover from that. Uh, in multiple sclerosis, when your body temperature goes up, there's something called Udhoff's phenomenon where your symptoms actually worsen during that time. And so that why that is why early on it was felt that you shouldn't exercise. So that was scary. So I would get onto this bike and then a couple of minutes later, my legs would feel numb and, and I would experience pain and numbness. But what I learned was that um, over time, as I would continue to return to the bike, I would do this every day. And I started to notice that I could go two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, it would expand over time. And those symptoms that I was once experiencing um, were no longer happening. So I started to build stamina and strength. Um, my diet changed, I, some of the weight came off. Um, I started to feel that veil of fatigue lift. Fatigue is a very significant and the most common symptom that MS patients report. And all of a sudden I was free of that. And, and I often joke that I was able to stay up past Jeopardy for the first time. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was to me a big win. So it was small steps. So I started to see um, my life was changing and it was moving in the right direction. And it was scary because in 2003, everyone told me, uh, this is a mistake to stop the disease modifying therapy. You're going, you're, you're, this is not a responsible decision that you've made. But for me, it was sort of weighing it, weighing out where I was going and the way I was feeling. My quality of life was so poor that it, I, I was willing to try anything. And so very early on, within six months of that, of those beginnings, I started to really um, feel empowered knowing that this decision was the right thing for me. Now, it wasn't perfect. I even had an ex another exacerbation about a year into, into the, the, um, the change in my life. But I knew despite that, that, I, that things were, were going in the right direction. And ultimately, I went from this young woman who was dependent on a cane or crutches and, and a dozen medications to one who crossed the finish line at a marathon in 2010, free of a medication. And, and today, Chuck, it's been 25 years since my diagnosis and I'm medication-free, disability-free and, and empowered more than ever before to share this healing message with whomever is willing to hear it because there's nothing special about me. We can all do this. It's just regrettably that we're not hearing these messages from our physicians and our healthcare professionals. It's not um, being spoken and it should be, it should be the primary uh, directive or advice that we're being offered by, by our healthcare professionals. And um, the good news is that we have many that are speaking to it and that are sharing this healing message with, with folks across the country and beyond. I think we're moving in the right direction. This idea of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition is spreading across the country. There's an infectious quality to it because when we engage in it, we feel well. And when we feel well, uh, people want to know, what are you doing? Uh, how did you arrive at this? And, and we can share this message. We can share this message as neighbors or as 
physicians or as um, uh, just anyone can can speak to this. But how wonderful and refreshing if we go to our physician and not only do they talk about us, talk to us about um, pharmaceutical inter uh, interventions, but what if they were to also talk to us about the power that lies in our personal choices? Um, help us to understand that by improving our our choices, our dietary choices, maintaining physical activity, not smoking, and keeping a healthy weight, that if we did that, we could prevent 80% of chronic diseases. That would be amazing. Um, think of all the pain and suffering that we could avoid and the improvement of quality of life. And we want all people to optimize their existence. We want all people to live to their uh, greatest potential. And at the end of the day, at age 102 or whatever, 98, on that last day, that we share a beautiful day, a beautiful meal with our family and friends, clear of mind, and then we go to bed and we pass away peacefully with dignity. Uh, we know how to do that. We need to share this message with whomever is willing to hear it. And your story certainly lends itself to getting people to open their ears and to listen. Um, I, I want to get back to what it was you were talking about there, but you know, your story is so powerful. And I feel like over the last couple of minutes, you just hit the fast forward over so many good parts, right? Um, so I, I got to ask you, like, so your journey is made up of a series of incredible moments that helped to fill this well of hope that had run dry. And so you, you, you threw it out there so matter of factly, like you were eventually able to go to work without using the cane. I would love to know what that first day was like when you were able to leave the cane in the car and just go into the building, go into I the office. I remember that day so well. Um, it, it was incredible. It really was. It, it was about two years into my changes. And I remember distinctly that day. It was, a, it was the spring. It was a beautiful, sunny day. And as I would you know, routinely, you know, get out of the car and then turn to the back seat to pull the cane out. And I remember just stopping and saying, you know what? I feel pretty good. I don't think I need this. And then just powering forward and walking into the clinic and, and noticing uh, my team members, uh, everyone just, uh, it was just, there was like this silence. Um, and I remember that my nurse came, my, my nurse Eugene came up to me and just gave me a big hug. And he said, I'm so happy to see this. And it was, it really was a beautiful day. And, and then it just continuously got better and I got stronger and stronger. And again, to the point that um, I started to run and, and then the idea of signing up for a marathon was that seed was planted and uh, I remember at first when I, when I first heard the words, you should run a marathon, uh, thinking, wow, that's crazy. MS patients don't run marathons. That's so far out. Uh, and then I started to realize I needed to drop that label. You know, I was living my life as this woman with multiple sclerosis, this doctor with multiple sclerosis, this mother with multiple sclerosis, and I needed to drop that label. And that was freeing as well. Um, shedding uh, these perceptions of who I thought I I could be, uh, and then just empowering myself to push the envelope. And, um, and that day when I crossed the finish line at the marathon, it was just 
and to have my husband and my my children, they were little at the time, there to greet me at the end. It was just uh, one of the most beautiful moments in my life. No doubt about it. And I heard at one of your lectures about another beautiful moment that I think that especially the women who are listening to this right now can really identify with. Uh, July 2nd, 2005, you were at a wedding. What yeah. happened? Right. I was invited to a wedding and uh, I did two things on that day, Chuck, that um, seemed trivial, but to me meant a lot because I hadn't been able to do it in a long time. I wore heels and I dance with my husband. Little things that so many people take for granted, just to be able to dance with their significant other at an event. Uh, mm -hmm. And if, if, you know, if you wear heels, just to be able to put those on, yeah. I mean, it's so simple, but again, you must've just felt like you were on top of the world that day. I did. I did. I mean, I, it, it was because envision this. I mean, for years, I hadn't been able to do that. Right. So uh, the diagnosis, the diagnosis came in 1995. That was 2005. It was 10 years of a lot, a lot of pain and suffering and not knowing, uh, you know, multiple sclerosis is a disease that hits you like a ton of bricks. Some days you have good days and other days you wake up and you're missing. You can't feel a leg. You can't pick up an arm. You can't, you go, I actually had a period where I lost my vision. Uh, and so this constant sense of fear, I would wake up in the morning, like check parts, you know, what am I feeling things can, it, it got to that point. It was just very scary. Um, waking up in the middle of the night with, with, with pain that would, I would jump out of the bed um, with these spasms that, that were just uh, hard to, hard to describe. Um, so many years of that. And then to, to see how uh, all of those uh, periods of difficulty just started to melt away and, and I could feel myself becoming more and more empowered um, and, and feeling like anything was possible. And, and that was in incredibly exciting for me. Uh, yeah, I think I can sum that up uh, just by saying you got your life back. And that's, that's the coolest thing ever. And so many people in life, I think they look back and they wish, they wish, man, I wish I could have done that differently. Right. But in your case, you actually did get a do over in a lot of ways and you're making the most out of it, which is just absolutely, uh, just incredibly, just so, so cool. Did you get an opportunity to speak with your original team of doctors who uh, you had been working with when you were first given the MS diagnosis? I, I did visit with him a few years ago and he was very happy to see me. Uh, but the first question he asked me, what do you think was the first question he asked me? What have you been doing? What have you been eating? Are you still taking your medication? There are three guesses. Give me a one in three shot here. What medication are you on? There you go. There yeah. you go. Of course, yeah. He just assumed that the reason I was doing so well was because I was taking a medication. And when I told him I wasn't taking any medication, that I was eating a plant-based diet and I had this really great lifestyle. Of course, um, he didn't really like that response. <laughs> you know, did, um, did you get an opportunity to continue that discussion? I mean, like maybe help him understand a little bit more, or is it just like any change that anybody makes, you have to be ready to listen and make that change for yourself and receive that information. 
I did. I, I mean, I really tried. Uh, we, we did have a conversation and he said, it's funny, my, my son, he actually told me his son was vegan and plant-based and he didn't really understand it. So I, I tried to, you know, he was he's an older gentleman and sort of in, stuck in his ways. Um, he's wonderful, wonderful person, uh, but you know, he just wasn't open to the idea, but I did offer, uh, to have a little more dialogue with him. And, and he was, he was generous in that we did, we did chat for a bit. You never know. Maybe on that day I planted a seed and unbeknownst to me, he's done a little bit of research and maybe he's opened up. I hope he has. Um, I think we're all capable of that. Maybe at the time we're not ready for the message, but isn't it wonderful when we can plant a seed and hopefully maybe on some day he can look it into it, look into it himself, just like anyone can. I mean, it's it, the, the data, the overwhelming body of evidence is out there for anyone to read it. They just have to search for it. It's oh, there. Oh yeah. Those seeds, they can get tucked away for a rainy day. And before long that, that's that rain causes that seed to sprout a little bit. And then you're, you're off and running. Um, I, I, I'm curious, did anybody else in your family, have MS? Is this a genetic uh, disease? Yeah, good question. So um, no one in my family had uh, MS. The etiology or the cause of, uh, of MS is not clear yet. Uh, we're not really sure. Um, there may be some genetic influences, but it's not fully characterized yet. All right, let's switch gears here. I want to ask you about, um, you, you said that about 80% of these chronic illnesses could oh. be prevented. And it wasn't long ago that I had somebody on Instagram send me a message and say, well, hey, I've heard this 80% figure thrown out a lot recently. Where is that being based off? Where are those facts coming from? So could you, you know, help us understand that one? One of one study that is often quoted um, is the Potsdam study. There's a large observational study conducted in Potsdam, Germany. 23,000 Germans were enrolled in that study. And they looked at four healthy lifestyle behaviors. Uh, which were eating a primarily plant-based diet, so lots of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, uh, not smoking. Obviously, smoking is the worst habit you can engage in. Exercising about 30 minutes every day and maintaining a healthy weight. And what they found was in those individuals that practiced those four healthy lifestyle behaviors, 80% of chronic diseases were prevented, which is, again, um, just an, a very special number. And and I think. Regrettably, that's that's the type of study that all medical students, for example, should be aware of. And I, you know, it's not something that is currently being uh, taught in medical schools. The power of prevention is something that um, we pay little attention to. But in any and even in that study, when you look at the details behind the eighty percent, ninety three percent of diabetes was preventable, which is, a, again, if you look at what's happening today in in our country. When I was in medical school, just to give you a little bit of perspective, rates of diabetes in this country about 2%. Today, we're brushing past 10%. And the CDC predicts that by 2050, 30% of Americans will be living with diabetes. Yet we have data, we have evidence in the literature that tells us today how to prevent 93% of diabetes. And yet it isn't something that is effectively conveyed through not not only to the public, but in, in medical school, um, we're not we're not teaching medical students about the power that lies in, in, in these preventive approaches. You think ninety three percent of how many millions of people are diagnosed with diabetes every year? How many more are already living with it? I mean, that is an enormous sum of people. 
It is. It is. And and it's it's a it's a powerful prescriptive. Um, and it, it really does need to be conveyed to the to the American public. And so when you think prevention here, uh, I, I just equate lifestyle medicine so much with that. The six pillars in lifestyle medicine, healthy eating, physical activity, manage stress, uh, form and maintain relationships, uh, improve your sleep, and certainly don't smoke. Of those six, do they all carry equal weight or are some more important than others? That's a great question. You know, in, in my book, I use the analogy of a wheel with spokes. So I know some people refer to them as pillars. I like to use the spokes because it gives you that understanding that they are interconnected and they're sort of reliant on one another. I say that because some of us may be very good at our food and then maybe we're not very active or we're very good at our food and we're super active, but we're not sleeping effectively and maybe we're drinking too much. So it's important for us in order to achieve our best um, self and, and to reduce the risk of developing chronic disease and again, aging gracefully, we want to pay attention to every spoke on that wheel. Now, some spokes are easier for us than others. Um, as I said, some of us are really good at exercise and, and maybe we're not so good at sleep. So it's important to optimize those that you're really good at, but also to pay attention to and begin to exercise uh, those and, and improve upon those that you're, you're a little bit weak on. Dr. Sarai Stancic, thank you so very much for everything and, and congratulations on your transformation and your comeback to health. I mean, just what a story. Thank you so much. So much fun talking to you today. One million people in the United States right now are currently living with MS, meaning Dr. Stancic is truly one in a million. But she's so much more than that, isn't she? And her book, What's Missing from Medicine, is available right now on Amazon and at your local bookstore. And we have a link for you to order your copy right now in the episode notes. The subtitle of the book is also something really to get fired up about. Six Lifestyle Changes to Overcome Chronic Illness. And if anyone is qualified to talk about that, it is certainly her. Now, Dr. Stancic will also be speaking at this year's International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, coming up August 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C. And the title of her presentation there is What Every Doctor Needs to Know About Nutrition. And just like the title of her book, she is also someone definitely qualified to address this, not just from the physician standpoint, but certainly also from her own experiences as a patient. Really looking forward to her presentation. Now, Dr. Neil Barnard will also be presenting at the conference, as will renowned cardiologist Dr. Kim Williams. He's actually going to be receiving an award as well. Plus, Dr. Dean Ornish will be presenting, as will Dr. Andy Chan. He's there and will go more in-depth about his findings on his study regarding the quality of your diet and how that affects your risk of COVID-19. Dr. Jim Loomis also presenting on ways doctors can get diabetes patients off of medication and reverse their diagnosis. And Dr. Gemma Newman has a fantastic presentation about hormones and how hormonal health can be improved 
just by making diet and lifestyle changes. And yes, that diet she's talking about is a plant-based diet. So we're talking about 30 speakers from all over the world. Such a fantastic immersion into the world of health, and we would love to see you there. But space is limited, so please reserve your seat today. PCRM.org slash ICNM. That is PCRM.org slash ICNM. And for you exam roomies, we will be recording episodes of the show all throughout the conference. So please come on by. Would love for you to join us for a live recording. So PCRM.org slash ICNM. And if you need them, CME credits are available as are scholarships for nurses and dietitians. Reserve your seat today, but hurry, space is limited. PCRM.org ICNM or click the link in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the extraordinary Dr. Sarai Stancic for joining us and raising our health IQ. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.